Thanks for joining us today for the Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host today, Jim Minter, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And joining me today is Dr. Nathan Thompson, who's an associate professor of agricultural economics here at Purdue. And we're gonna talk a little bit about the importance of crop basis when marketing grain. So one of the things to think about, Nathan, is what are the options that are available to a farmer here in Indiana or anywhere in the Corn Belt with respect to marketing grain? Yeah, so this is a good place to start kind of this conversation because there's a lot of different uh, tools or alternatives available to producers today in terms of uh, ways that they can market grain, right? So we just have some examples here uh, to kind of just kind of uh, prime the pump, so to speak. So, you know, obviously spot or cash price, forward contracts, those are two tools that, you know, most farmers that we work with are obviously very familiar with. Maybe up the, the rung on the ladder a little bit in terms of uh, complexity or, or what we see in terms of producers using, you could hedge obviously with futures and options. So again, we're using the, the board of trade there. Uh, again, we've got things like hedge to arrive, uh, again, a tool that's being utilized, uh, which is utilizing the board of trade. But again, uh, the uh, the elevator maybe has taken uh, the position on the futures market there on behalf of the farmer. Uh, and then, you know, you can go down this kind of rabbit trail of, of these uh, grain contracts that uh, elevators are offering uh, to producers. And again, th there's just so many of those uh, that we won't even kind of go down that route. But that's obviously a big place where uh, we have lots of alternatives for producers to, to price grain. And really the point in kind of going through all these various alternatives or tools is to, to decide among those, right? Producers need to have knowledge of basis, right? And that's what we're talking about today. And that's what is important when we think about these different alternatives is understanding it doesn't really matter which of those you're using or, or which of those you're evaluating against each other. You need to have some information as it relates to basis to pull the trigger and make a decision. Yeah, I think that's a key point as you think about it, Nathan. Um, you know, fundamentally, grain prices are established at the futures exchanges, right, for corn and soybeans and wheat. Uh, and basis is really about what's taking place locally. And so no matter what you choose, you're going to look at that futures market with respect to what the kind of the national market is for that particular commodity. But then it's going to be the basis that dictates what actually is going to happen to you from a local standpoint. So that begs the question, we probably ought to just define basis, right? So basis is the local cash price minus the futures price. And that means we can kind of rearrange things from a, an equation standpoint and say, hey, that local cash price can be decomposed into its two components, the futures price and the basis. And once we do that, we've really done something pretty important for risk management now. We've really, in a way, kind of doubled our opportunities to manage price risk. And that complicates things a little bit but it also creates opportunities, an opportunity to, to make some money, right? Yeah, exactly, right? So when we divide out those two components, the futures component and the basis component, like you said, we're really offering a lot of flexibility in the risk management kind of aspect, right? And, and what we really have drilled down on and some of the stuff that we've been doing lately is this idea that futures prices and basis follow different seasonal patterns, right? And when you understand that there's a difference in those seasonal patterns, separating those two components now gives the producer the opportunity to take advantage of favorable opportunities on the future side and the basis side at different points in time and kind of maximize their potential price opportunity when it comes to their marketing. Yeah, that's a good point that one we probably don't stress often enough. If basis and futures prices had the exact same seasonal pattern, 
there wouldn't be near the advantage to differentiating between the two in terms of how you manage price risk. But the fact that they don't move in tandem creates the opportunities and our fact that we can have some knowledge of what's likely to take place, not guaranteed, but likely, uh, can really improve our opportunities to make money, right? Right. So that brings up this next question, which is we've kind of implied this, but we ought to come right out and say it. Futures prices are inherently difficult to forecast. Lots of research supports the idea that it's very difficult to forecast what futures prices are going to do. But basis is a little different. Basis is, I'm not going to say easy to forecast, but it's far simpler because it does have a tendency to follow some very strong seasonal patterns, right? And you've actually done a fair amount of research on that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, essentially, it tends to be less, basis tends to be less volatile than futures prices. And therefore, it's much, uh, like you say, easier might not be the right word, but it's much more predictable. And so forecasting it is a lot easier in terms of using historical data to build an expectation of where we think basis is going according to those seasonal patterns. So, I mean, one of the things to think about is if you're interested in marketing corn, for example, in October, harvest time here in Indiana, uh, knowing what corn basis was in your market area in the recent past can be pretty helpful. And so if you go back and look at what corn basis did last year, the year before that, maybe the year before that, uh, that gives you a pretty good idea of what basis is likely to be this year, at least as a starting point. Now, there can be some aberrations, and we saw some of that here in, in the fall of 22, right, when we had some disruptions with respect to river markets, et cetera, there there's, can be some significant movements that maybe those averages wouldn't capture, but in general, they're pretty reliable, right? Yeah, that, that tends to be the case, right? So again, you know, you need some access to historical data, right, that tells you, okay, in my local region, this is the pattern. And then you really need several years of data, right? So like you mentioned, you know, any individual year can be affected by what's going on in that particular year. And so we typically like to look at, you know, maybe three, maybe four, five years, and we average those together, which kind of smooths out these year-to-year -year va variations from, you know, particular events that might influence basis uh, in a particular uh, locale. And then when we create that historical average, that's what builds this kind of expectation uh, or forecast of what we think basis is going to be in that particular year, in that location, in that time of year. And you've actually done some research with one of your graduate students here recently, and you looked at what were uh, optimal models or the best tools you could come up with to forecast basis. And you concluded in the case of corn here in the Eastern Corn Belt, uh, three-year averages were uh, certainly the best starting point in terms of forecasting basis, right? Yeah, that tends to be where we default to three years for corn, uh, two years for soybeans is where the research has landed. But again, you know, there weren't a lot of differences, say, between a three-year average and a five-year average. The, the differences there were pretty minimal, but statistically speaking, uh, that was that was kind of where we landed in terms of a thumb rule. Uh, and again, you can adjust that over time. So for example, here lately, we've had very volatile basis uh, from a number of different factors. And so just as kind of a, a robustness check, so to speak, I'll go in and look at a three-year average and a five-year average to kind of compare how different those two might be. And again, a lot of times the differences aren't major, but it can, you know, any, you know, when we have some of these exceptional years, adding a particular year into that average can really swing things one way or the other. And so sometimes adding more data smooths, again, out those patterns uh, to give us a better idea of maybe what a, a long-term average might be. But starting with three years on corn, two years on soybeans are kind of the thumb roll that we use. So that brings up the question, um, 
some producers maybe maintain records of what basis is done in their local community at the local markets that they typically deal with. But in our experience, most people don't have those kind of data banks available. And so, you know, one of the challenges is how do I go about getting that? And that's really a discussion you and I had several years ago. And we decided to build a tool that would make historical basis data readily available to people here in the Eastern Corn Belt, right? Yeah, that was the goal. So that because of kind of this lack of, of information, you know, we decided to uh, go uh, to USDA, look for some funding to support kind of the building of this tool, a big piece of which was the purchase of the historical data. So in terms of publicly available data, like USDA data, you know, there is a cash price series for the state of Indiana, but Again, basis is a local concept. And so having local uh, cash price data that would allow us to then uh, calculate basis for local regions, it just there was no data, right? We needed uh, kind of a, a private source of data that we could purchase. And so again, we got the funding. Uh, we were able to, to secure the data uh, from a private source and then built the tool. And the tool is just a website. Uh, so again, it's available on the Center for Commercial Agriculture's homepage. Uh, and the way that it works, again, is we have corn and soybean data uh, in the tool. It's got historical data going all the way back to the 2004-2005 crop year. So we're really pushing 20 years of data at this point, which uh, is kind of interesting. Again, a lot of that historical data is not something you're going to use every day in your forecast. But it's nice to have there. We found several instances uh, in recent years where it's like, you know what, let's go back and pull out some years that were, for example, uh, tight carryover years. And how did basis, you know, uh, uh, perform or how did it uh, act in those particular years? But again, when you're forecasting, typically we're looking at those most recent three to five years, depending on kind of what we're looking at. But again, lots of historical data there available to you to kind of look at and evaluate. The way that it's built, uh, it's using weekly data. Uh, so again, we're just using Wednesday's close. Uh, we've done research. Does it make a difference if we use a weekly average versus Wednesday? But Wednesday's is kind of where we settled. It really is not that much of a difference uh, if you look at it differently. Uh, the data is updated weekly. So obviously, like we've mentioned, there's the historical data that's in the tool that's useful for building the forecast. But we also have what's happening in the current crop marketing year as a separate kind of uh, uh, visualization. So you're evaluating not only that historical average, but you're also evaluating where current year's basis is relative to that, which can be very helpful for some particular situations. Uh, and then we're averaging uh, to the crop reporting district level. So again, we've mentioned several times, right, basis is a local concept. And so the trade-off that we made was, you know, obviously having a, a index of, of corn basis for the state of Indiana would be one place to start. That's uh, not very local. Uh, you could drill down to the individual elevator. That would give us lots of kind of data and maybe make it hard to sort through. And so what we landed on was averaging at a crop reporting district level. Okay, so we're taking all the elevators in that crop, crop reporting district and reporting what is essentially a regional average basis. So again, it's not representing any particular location or end user, but it's giving you a sense of what the pattern and what the current basis levels are in that region. And then obviously you'd need to kind of call around and, and evaluate, you know, what basis bids were at any particular location based on that. And again, one piece, you know, when you go to the website, you're going to select the county that you want to view. And that's going to automatically kind of revert you back to your crop reporting district. We did that for ease of use, but it's important to, to distinguish, you know, for example, if we were looking here in West Central Indiana, we would select Tippecanoe County. That's where we're located. It's going to automatically revert you back 
to West Central Indiana. So you're not getting Tippecanoe County specifically. And I just want to make that distinction because that's just the way the tool was built. But, you know, you're getting a, a, a regional average basis for a particular crop reporting. Yeah, district. We, we built the tool. So you select the county because most of us, myself included, don't know what crop reporting district sure. we live in or what we farm in. And as a result, it was easier to simply make the menu driven off those counties and then, and then push you into the correct location. So, you know, if you look at it, we cover Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, and Indiana. And, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting to do sometimes is to look at those other locations other than just my home area, yeah. right? And see what's going on around the Eastern Corn Belt, uh, because that can be kind of insightful, particularly as you think about what takes place along the river. Yeah, river is a really big one where, you know, you can look at kind of inland basis relative to what's going along kind of in those southern regions of Indiana and Illinois and how those are acting or behaving differently. You know, a lot of times that can kind of lend some insights, maybe what's going on with exports. Another time we saw that kind of stick out was back in 2019 when we had planning condition, uh, planning issues. Uh, you know, we saw really uh, obvious strength in basis in kind of north uh, eastern uh, kind of uh, Indiana as that was a place that was particularly hard hit uh, by a wet spring uh, and an inability, inability to plant and again just this idea that corn or soybeans were moving kind of west to east and so you could see that in the basis patterns and so again looking at those different regions can be really insightful uh, when you're kind of trying to figure out what's going on in any given year. So again, the tool is available in the Center for Commercial Agriculture's website, which is purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And it's right off the, on the main menu there on the top of the screen, you'll see a series of things listed. And one of those is called uh, tools. And in that tools menu, one of the options is just pick off this crop basis tool. And when you go to the tool, you know, you're faced with some choices. It's going to default to Indiana it's going to default to that west central Indiana. It actually defaults to Tippecanoe County, but that, as Nathan just indicated, that is the west central crop reporting district. It defaults to corn, and then it defaults to the nearby futures contract. But those are all individual boxes that you as an individual user can, can make changes to. So if you want to look at a different state, pick, you know, for example, Illinois or Michigan or Ohio. Uh, if you want to look at a different part of the any of those states, you pick a different county uh, for your region. Uh, your crop, we're limited right now to corn and soybeans. We don't have a wheat basis out here yet, but we do have corn and soybeans. So you pick your crop. If you want soybeans, just change it from corn to soybeans. And then on the futures contract, you've got some choices. The default, as I indicated, is nearby, which rolls forward throughout the marketing year to whatever the uh, futures contract is, which is closest to expiration at that particular point in time. Um, but you can choose to compute basis off a deferred futures contract. And for my usage, I actually prefer that to looking at the nearby basis. Now, in both cases, you're going to see a blue line, which is a, an average of several years of data. And you're going to see a black line. The black line is going to indicate what's taking place this year. So it doesn't matter. You're going to see the current basis. But the difference is going to be which futures contract it's computed off of. But for example, just for clarity, even if it's uh, I want to look at the nearby basis, for example, um, you know, the, the nearby for me might be March at the moment. I'll actually pick that March contract. And that does change the way the chart looks in terms of the length of the series that you're looking at. I find that a little easier to use, but that kind of depends on the individual user. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I tend to do the same thing, uh, especially as you move throughout the crop year 
and we get lots of rolls to new futures contracts in that nearby chart, it can get a little jumpy depending on what's going on on the future side of things in terms of the spreads between futures contract months. That impacts, you know, as we shift from one contract month to the next, basis might jump one way or the other because of that. And so again, I, I tend to start with the nearby chart and then I'll, I'll zone in on kind of the, the uh, deferred future chart. Because again, what it tends to do is number one, it gives you kind of a consistent comparison to one contract throughout the entire crop marketing year, kind of smoothing out those those jumps. But it also gives you a better view of appreciation or, or strengthening in basis throughout the crop, crop marketing year that you don't always see uh, on that, that deferred chart. So you see this much more smooth appreciation uh, and, and it kind of gives you a better visualization of what's going on there. So the other thing we didn't mention in the menus is there's a box for crop year. And over there is where you get to choose which years you want to use for your average computations. Um, on the corn side, it's going to default to a three-year average, but you don't have to stick with that. And in fact, you mentioned this earlier, but one of the things I like to do is, is occasionally, if I think this year is shaping up like some prior year, uh, the classic example is if we happen to have a drought scenario unfold, I want to go back and see, well, what happened the last time we had a big drought, you know, for example, here in the Eastern Corn Belt, that might be 2012. I want to go see what basis did in 2012 and compare that to this year. So that's an opportunity to do that. Another example here in, in Indiana was a, a good bit of Indiana had a very wet spring in 2015, which had a big impact on basis subsequently. If we have a repeat of that scenario going forward, I might want to go back and see what happened in that 2015-2016 crop year, right? So, so there's opportunities to do that and kind of play around it and, and look at various things in, in, the, in the menus. Um, you do need, once you make your choices, you do need to the submit button so it'll actually recompute. And you can see it redraw on the screen pretty straightforwardly. And, and of course, everything's pretty much labeled. One thing I want to emphasize, though, is that you up, update every week. And you mentioned earlier that you're using closing prices for the futures on Wednesday afternoon, as well as the closing cash prices that are posted by the various elevators that afternoon. And then you do the update in between then and Friday morning. And those updates are out pretty early on Friday morning because you're kind of an early riser, right? <laughs> so, so the key is you get a good chance to get that weekly update. And I, I, maybe I should probably just elaborate on why we chose Wednesday. It's a kind of a standard in the grain industry to use Wednesdays if you're going to look at weekly basis. Um, and it largely because you avoid most of the holidays that way. So right. it gives you a more consistent data series. And there are a lot of people in the industry that do use that Wednesday basis as kind of a, a standard. And then, as you kind of mentioned a minute ago, you can choose to compute basis throughout the course of the marketing year off a deferred futures contract. So, for example, going back to harvest time, you might choose a futures contract that's going to expire for example, at the end of your personal storage season, let's say you typically store some corn uh, into the May or maybe early June period, you know, you might pick a futures contract like the July futures contract and just see how basis tracked during the course of the storage season. And you've looked at that pretty, pretty uh, in depth, I think. Yeah, I mean, really, when we were initially looking at building the tool, I mean, one of the, the, the motivations for this is we were going around doing w workshops on, on marketing and we were teaching storage hedging, right? And people were telling us, well, basis doesn't change throughout the crop marketing year. And we were like, yes, it does. And we didn't have any data to, to show them, right? So again, that is, was, the, was the advent of really building the tool. And so again, that was something that was important when building is we wanted to be able to look at these deferred futures contracts because again, in a storage hedge scenario, 
right? Your gross return to storage, your, your locking in futures is just the appreciation in, in basis. And when you look at a basis chart that's computed off of the deferred futures, that's whatever the month that you're planning to, to sell the grain in the future, then you're essentially looking at what your gross return is from that bottom uh, in whenever you, you place the hedge in the fall to wherever you're going to sell in the future, you're going to use that forecast and that improvement in basis between uh, when you place the hedge in the fall and when you plan to sell the, the cash grain in so at some point in the future, that difference is your gross returns to storage. So again, you're, you're using that chart to basically build your forecast of what you think basis is going to be at the end of your particular storage season and what your return is going to be. You then obviously calculate what your costs are going to be and you can figure out at least an expected uh, return to that storage scenario. So that deferred futures contract component was really you know, one of the, we really wanted that in there because that was one of the whole things we were trying to teach people to do this and we just didn't have the data to be able to, to do it. Yeah, and, and if you look at any of those deferred charts like that, you typically see what you would expect to see in, in the Eastern Corn Belt. And that is basis tends to be at its low point, either in the middle of harvest or some years it might be just a little bit after harvest is wrapped up and then tends to become more positive as you move through the course of the storage season, providing that potential return to uh, storage that, that you were talking about earlier. So um, I find that very handy. And of course, this is a topic I cover in depth when I teach commodity futures here at Purdue. So uh, good thing to think about. So let's think about some takeaways here, uh, Nathan. You know, I think regardless of what crop marketing tool you choose to use, whether you're using spot sales, uh, if you're using uh, forward contracts, whether you're using hedging with futures, maybe you're using hedging via option contracts, um, basis is going to be an important component, right? Yeah, you need to have some information on basis if you're evaluating those different opportunities uh, in order to make a marketing plan. And one of the things the tool really helps demonstrate is the seasonality of basis. And that's what makes differentiating between that cash price uh, and the futures and the basis components of that cash price, uh, and whether it's a current cash price or a deferred uh, contract price, either one, differentiating between those two really is valuable because of that seasonal component of basis and the fact that there is some predictability there, right? Right. Um, so the Purdue Crop Basis Tool gives you access to historical corn and soybean basis for uh, the various crop reporting districts in Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, and Michigan. And I'd encourage you to just check it out and kind of play around with the tool a little bit and get familiar with it. And the next podcast in this crop marketing series, we'll discuss some thumb rules that we've been able to generate based on some research here at Purdue that can help you forecast basis using the Purdue Crop Basis Tool. And so on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I want to thank Nathan for joining us today. And uh, if you want to check out the tool, just remember the address is purdue.edu slash commercial ag. On behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minnard. Thanks for joining us.